Carden. Blair. Episode, what is it? Oh, man. I knew you were going to ask me that. Actually, I was thinking before. <laughs> Episode <laughs> one, nine. Episode one, go. nine. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I almost wanted to say eight bad, but I remember the last time that. You know, one, nine. Look at us. I, I, don't, I know. I know. And uh, we, had, you, you know, we had a week off. You were on vacation yep. with the fam. I was. And how was, how was that? Absolutely excellent. It's always good to see my family down in the Midwest, but it's, uh, you know, it's always good to be back in the mountains in uh, Montana. So yeah, it was great. And the kids got to hang out with some cousins and, and see my side of the family. So yeah, it was a great time. And, and how did the flight go? There was a little concern with the kids on the flight. Honestly, they did awesome on the way down. They did great. But we were also like in the, the heart of their like awake and coherent times. The flight back got a little rough but they were late flights so we didn't even fly into like 9 30 so we fly in at 9 30 and we've been like trying to do the best that we could on the flight back we kessler finally fell asleep mark somehow was awake the entire time and he was being a champ but you know we're like finally back i go run and get the car we get everything and of course what happens they lost Meltdown? a piece of our luggage. No. Oh. <laughs> yes. So then I have to spend another half an hour at the airport with somebody being like, okay, and can you describe this piece of luggage? I'm like, hmm. uh, yeah, it's like, it looks like a piece of luggage has some zippers on it. Okay. And is there anything interesting about this luggage that you could tell us that maybe would distinguish it from other luggages like the kilo of cocaine inside things like that i'm like okay well uh yeah don't look in it i mean can i that's all i wanted you know so (laughs) half an hour doing that and by the time that happened it was game over in the car they were they were starting to lose their minds but so did you fly in and out of helena i did yep okay okay yep we did well All's well that ends well, right? Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. So it was good. And so it's good to be back. And it's good to be back um to be back podcasting. Nice. Nice. Well, uh yeah, we had a we had a great visit with your lovely wife, Jenna, last time. Very, very informative. That was a that was a fun one. Yeah, it was really good. It it really um just kind of laid me bare all of my deficiencies. And so she's got a good <laughs> list of stuff that I need to work on. And I think she was very kind. I think she yeah. I think she was very kind actually. She should have, you know, or I shouldn't say should have. She could have yeah. really gotten some laundry out there in the air. So, no, that was a lot of fun. And you know, I I thought about something cuz I I listened to the episode afterward. And Jenna was talking about how much she enjoys what she did and I thought, you know what? you know, good for her. And she's very, very fortunate to have found something that she really is a very good at and B really loves to do. Yeah. I I couldn't agree with that more. And that's something that she kind of goes back to all the time where it's like, you know, at the end of the day, hard days are, are easy days or, you know, how work goes, but there's always that thing I'm helping people every day and she loves it. And she's great at it. As you could tell from all that she does, she does awesome, but you're kind of in that same boat. I mean, you love what you do. Well, I do, but I, it's what exactly do I do, Carter? I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> I honestly, I don't have people ask me that all the time. And I say, I don't know. I, don't. Stuff. I, 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 I mean, don't. I think right now he does this, but I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I could, yeah, I know. My, the joke at my house used to be when it was uh, career day at the at the school for the kids about what your parents do, they'd always want to take my wife because she's a nurse and that's easy. Yeah, when it was right. when it was me, it was like, well, he he does this and he does that and he does this, and they're like, that's way too complicated. Let's just take mom; she's a nurse. 
But you know, like, everything okay. that we've talked about, your personality and kind of even the stuff that you've talked about, ADD and things like that, it fits, right? I mean, it makes, it Absolutely. makes total sense. Yeah, no, it does. So so it, we have a guest tonight, Carden. We, no, we, yes. we have a guest. Yes. You know, we've just been knocking out of the park lately. We, people, we can't, we can't keep the people off this podcast. Yeah, I know. We've got a, a long, a long <laughs> list of people that are just like, come on, get me on the show already. And we're like, we, we can only do one a week. You know, there's only so much we can do. Oh, yeah. So, so, um, after our podcast last week with Jenna, we, we talked a lot about, um, you know, mental health and things like that. And, uh, you know, I have a brother and he's, he's, uh, what, seven years older than I am. And when we started doing the podcast a while ago, he said, you know, that would be a lot of fun. I'd like to be on there. And I said, well, what, what do you think you'd like to talk about? You know, cause you know, you can have somebody on as a guest, but it's, it's nice if there's a, a point to them being on or, yeah, you know, there's yeah. something like interesting. <laughs> right. And my brother, my brother's story is very interesting. He goes, you know, I, I just think there's, there's a lot here. I, I'd like to share my story. And so I said, you know what? That'd be awesome. And I, I don't want to ruin it because it's a very interesting story. So uh, my brother, Lance Patton, is with us tonight. Lance. Hello. Hello, Carden. <laughs> Hello, Lance. Thanks for coming on. He's Thank a man you. of very few words. <laughs> oh, good. This will be not. a long <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you only knew. Not. I was going to say, not if he's got any patent blood in him. I think That's I know right. better yeah, now. That's right. <laughs> No, like I said, Lance is my my older brother, and um, he's gonna. It, like I said, we're gonna talk. He's got an incredible story, and um, Lance, we'll just kind of let you uh, take it from there. <laughs> so, where to begin? Well, the uh, I guess we talked about this a little prior to the show. So, I guess uh, one of the main things is I'm bipolar, ADD, got. Uh, some other obsessive compulsive uh oppositional defiant PTSD I've got I've got a bucket full of mental issues but uh probably the most perplexing and problematic through my life has been the bipolar for one because I was of an age when that wasn't commonly known you know what I'm saying the psychiatrists weren't versed in it uh, it wasn't common knowledge that it existed. Uh, my parents took me to a psychiatrist. I remember this very vividly in second grade. And uh, the, the psychiatrist is like, well, just try uh, when you say no, just make sure you say, you say, you know, there was no advice that they could take. I think they went once and that was it. Tried to, attempted to follow through on it and it got nowhere. I was bouncing off walls. I remember very young, being very young and crying on our steps in the family house. And my mom walks by and I'm hoping for a little sympathy because I'm crying about God knows what. And she goes, Jesus, Lance, I just can't stand this. She goes, you're either really up or really down and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> and, and that really sums up my childhood. I mean, yeah. they kept passing me on in, in school, even though my grades were atrocious. But they knew I had some native intelligence, so they just kept passing me on, letting it be next year's teacher's problem, see if they could solve it. So they they uh, passed from year to year until I got to my senior year in high school. Now, something very important happened that took uh, had a direct bearing on my uh, life. We moved from where I had grown up from age two to age 
where, where, how old? It was 76, so I would have been 16 when we moved. The summer between my sophomore and junior year, we moved to a different town. And in the first town, I was your quintessential nerd. I had the black glasses. My dad was from the military. I had short hair when it's in the 60s and 70s. Everybody's wearing their hair long. And uh, so I got beat just unmercifully. And when we moved to this new town, I decided I was going to assume kind of a almost a fictional identity. I just decided I wasn't going to be the guy I was in the first town. Yeah. So I kind of went off the hook, partied and and uh, just started smoking weed. I'd never done that before and uh, mixed in with kind of a rough crowd, got in a lot of trouble. And uh, it had the dual effect of affecting my popularity. I was popular in a way I never was in the first time in the first mm. town, but my parents didn't know what the hell had gotten into me. And my dad had pretty much decided that, uh, he was going to be rid of me as soon as possible. And then, uh, midway through my senior year, I got shot. I got shot by a kid that was waving an empty gun around pointing it through the scope. And, uh, I was reading a book. I was waiting for a girl. I'd skip football practice, which to my dad's uh, way of viewing things, he said, if I was where I was supposed to be, <laughs> then it would have never have happened. And since it cost him a lot of money, he, uh, that was, that pretty much tore it for as far as the relationship between he and I. But at any rate, uh, the kid starts pointing the gun at me. I was turning a page of a book and I looked up and he's pointing the rifle at me. I lifted my hand to give him the finger and he goes, don't worry. It's not loaded. Swear to God. Last, last words before he shot me. Oh man. And, uh, I and, spent, and, and I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, and it wasn't just an ordinary gun. Was it? It was a 300 Magnum weather <laughs> yes. for people that know at and a distance then, of about uh, eight feet. Yeah, I, I mean, say, you know, how close that, was he? Point blank, basically. Yeah. Yeah, right. with a heavy caliber hunting rifle. Right. Yeah. So it basically took off, I don't know, a quarter of my left hand, and then my hand saved my life because it's designed to go into an animal small and come out big, but it hit my hand where I was flipping him off, and that made it blow up into my chest and so forth and into my shoulder, which has given me lifelong problems and also started a lifelong addiction to pain pills because back in those days you know they felt so sorry for you it's like here here even though you're not really in any pain mm. you know okay so lance let me let me just kind of just Jump ahead well no no not at all i actually i was going to comment on something you said so um it was interesting to me because i was quite a bit younger i'm seven years younger than lance so when when he was little i didn't exist and i was amazed that that you know, our parents, mom and dad, took him to a psychiatrist when he was, what, second grade? Seven years old. Yeah, seven years old. Or six. And I thought that was actually, um, you know, it's obviously pretty atypical, but I, th I think it showed that at least they, they wanted to try to figure out what was going on. I mean, don't you think? I think they just were looking for some means of putting me under control, that I was just right. out of control and they had no clue as to why when they had three other regular kids. <laughs> well, no, because I didn't exist. I didn't exist. Well, you did though. <laughs> and we had two sisters in between us, Cardin. So yeah, okay, and they were gotcha. normal. They were normal. So well, my my kind of question is, is kind of like that too, I guess. Um, 
looking back on it, because now you've been, you know, at a completely different phase where you've been successfully diagnosed and kind of understand um, the, the kind of what bipolar is and stuff like that. Can you look back at your your childhood, even at age seven and be like, oh, yeah, this was this was bipolar and this was me at seven, um, kind of the highs and lows. Like, can you, can you see that kind of? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And even in my, like, okay, so fast forwarding, I got shot, but I'd already, my plan, my father and I didn't get along. I've covered that. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to stay at home, but I didn't care. I didn't care about our relationship because I always thought I was going to go directly into the military and then I get shot right before it's about to come to fruition. Right. So, uh, and I'm going, wait a second, you know, I I don't have a plan B and he's like, I don't care. You're not living here anymore. So Mm -hmm. essentially I was just out on my own and didn't have any place to go. I stayed, you know, in cars and stuff in our town for a little bit. And then I just decided, uh, as I told my daughter, I said I was homeless and hungry. I didn't have to be cold too. So yeah. I decided to go south. And uh, that led to just kind of a life of, I would go to a certain place. And as long as the the thrill of moving and the adrenaline was going, I would start off well. But then eventually I would always drop down into a depression mm-hmm. and I would lose whatever job I had. And then I would think location change. You know, I'll just go someplace else, start fresh. And my my adrenaline would pick up and and I would do it. I would go to someplace else where I didn't know anybody and uh, start again. And as a consequence, I've lived all over the country, but I never really had a handle on why I was doing it. You know, I thought I knew, but I really didn't. It was the the mental illness kind of uh, blew everything up. It got to where I didn't couldn't even enjoy when things were going good because I'd had them go from good to bad so often that I knew bad was just hmm. around the corner. You're just waiting you know? for the shoe to drop. Type exactly, of thing. exactly. Uh, so I, 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 a question that I have with that is how did your um, kind of addiction to painkillers that kind of seems to be a thread that was going on throughout this whole time did. Did you see an ebb and flow with that that correlated with your kind of manic versus your depressive states? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, uh, with my bipolar is what I attributed to, I would stay up until my batteries just completely were depleted. You know, I might stay up two days, you know, just on adrenaline or just on Mm -hmm. mental energy. You know, I'd go to bed and I'd lay there and my mind just would not quit. Uh, by the way, on that in that vein, uh, one of the books I read that absolutely convinced me of the validity of this whole disease is a book called The Unquiet Mind, and it's it's just fascinating. It's a fascinating read. And after that, I was I was sure that it this was a real thing. You know, it wasn't just a figment of my imagination. But uh, I used to have to take pain pills or booze just to get to sleep. And that's not sustainable to keep a job, you know, you can only do that for so long and then you just burn out from the sheer effort of it all. So, and that was, I mean, you, so just kind of a timeline, um, you got shot when you were 17 and you were home for, in 78. So, and you were home for a while convalescing, right? You, you, you know, you were home for a while. You had multiple surgery. How many surgeries you have of that? Cause oh you had, gosh, I lost count. My my hand doctor said that uh, his his peers were accusing him of trying to make his whole fortune off just one guy. <laughs> oh, jeez. 
<laughs> yeah, but but I mean, so you were home for a while, and then um, you left. You left Montana, and how old were you? Eighteen, nineteen. Well, I was seventeen when I got out of school that year. I, my birthday is in July, so I didn't turn eighteen until that July. By eighteen, I was in Colorado. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. And you, you now, I, I remember some of this because now I was, I was old enough now to start remembering. And you were kind of living the the life of Riley for a while. I mean, you were all over the place. Well, you, when when getting drunk or getting stoned is your your whole. Uh, your whole uh, reason for living, you know, that's pretty easily accomplished, you know, in these these times, you know, this, this world. So, uh, you know, finding a place to stay was, was more challenging than passing my days. Right. But uh, I don't know. I, I would always go someplace and I'm, I'm a kind of a gregarious person and uh, I meet people easily. So it just kind of became an adventure you know well i remember you telling me like you were i think you were in kansas working for a relative of ours which we really didn't know very well and you had a buddy with you and there was a concert you wanted to go to like in florida or something no, denver oh and De- so we you were, just we had up to, and left in the middle of your job yeah we were just putting in off. fence we were putting in fence post carton in Kansas, which nice. is like 90 degrees, you know, uh, 100 yeah. degrees. Yeah. And uh, we had our car re- sitting right there beside us with the radio playing, and REO Speedwagon was the new band at the time, and they were going to be in Denver that night. And we kept going, man, that'd be nice to see that. We'd dig another fence post hole, you know, and keep going. Man, if we left right now, we could make it. <laughs> and we kept going back and forth, and finally we decided, screw this, we're gone. And uh, we ran into my uncle coming down the road to check on us. And he goes, we back vehicles up so we could talk. And he goes, where are you guys going? We said, well, there's a, a concert in Denver if we're going to go catch it. And he said, well, if you want to do that, he said, keep on going. We said, sounds good to us. Give us our check, you know, so we can get there. And uh, <laughs> wow. the, funniest, the funniest thing about that story is that I left with this guy and we went from Kansas to Texas down through Arizona, New Mexico, and into LA, where he was originally from, this kid. And then back through Vegas and Montana, we were gone three months. That was my first trip. And uh, we siphoned gas the whole way. The only time we <laughs> bought gas was to, to get to that concert because we couldn't afford to wait around till dark to siphon gas. <laughs> so we, we filled up huh. gas. <laughs> that time and that's the only gas we bought in the whole trip Carton, can oh, you wow. imagine i mean no literally, I can't can you imagine <laughs> no okay no, well, kids, something i do want to <laughs> i do want to bring up though i mean this the going back to the the painkiller thing is that you had some extensive damage that was done though i mean so uh, originally the painkillers weren't uh weren't necessarily addictive as much as they were prescribed specifically because of the amount of pain that you were in well, but the, here's the here's the thing is they I was in the hospital for so long that by the time I got out and probably do a lot to the resilience of youth, but I wasn't in that much pain and they were almost kind of pushing them on you, you know, like yeah. like they felt that you I never complained of pain. They just felt that I had to be in pain because it was such a grievous injury that they're like, okay, here, here. And they're one of the most addictive Darvon, you know, one of the most, yeah. which they have since taken off the market because they, they feel it's addictive mm-hmm. properties outweigh any benefit it gives anybody. So that tells you something too. Yeah. 
but yeah, yeah it led to a lifelong, like I've never been one to gravitate towards something to make me go faster. Cause if you haven't noticed even already, I tend to go at a pretty fast clip just normally. <laughs> you go fast. So I, I like to slow down. I like alcohol, pain pills, you know, but. Okay. So, so you, so on the timeline, you're, you're out of Montana. You've been on the road a little bit. You went to Texas. I went to Colorado because the guy that I took that first trip with, he came back, he enrolled in the army and he was stationed in Colorado Springs. So I kind of went down there, you know, and I would sneak on base and we would get stoned and go out and, and stuff, you know? And, uh, and then I met a guy down there that was from Michigan first, remember? Okay. So I ended up just a few miles from Detroit in Michigan and I lived there for a couple of years till my girlfriend and I went off to college and the cops were looking for me and, and I broke a guy's jaw. So there was a gang of people looking for me too. So I thought, <laughs> well, it's a good time to leave. Yeah. So I went, <laughs> went back the summer of my 21st year, which would have been 1981. I went back to Montana and lived here for a summer with my best friend growing up and we built grain bins for that summer. And after that summer, I left again. And then I wound up in Texas. So, and so what were, was your, what was the, when you would go to a new place, what was the first thing? Were you looking for work or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, you got to find I, a place I, to stay first. Right. Okay. Yep. So, you know, I would pull in with my little backpack with a couple of changes of clothes and some shampoo and the towel and, you know, the necessities. And, uh, and then I would just try to find a place to sleep. You know, I had a sleeping bag generally. And, uh, then you'd go out and chase down a job and uh, then through uh, usually luck or just happenstance, uh, I would usually, if I applied myself and got a job, you know, I would meet people and then I would, I would generally fall into a place to stay. Well, and you're a very, you know, you're <clears throat> personality wise, you're, you're a, a person that you don't, there's really no strangers right? You make, you make acquaintances very and friendships very easily. So I can see you, you know, striking up conversations with people and you're a very trust, trusting person. Um, actually, and I, I've told this to you a lot, uh, listening to your stories, I still can't believe you didn't end up in a, you know, in a ditch. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So tell, there was one story you told about the guys that picked you up hitchhiking because oh, you used to no. hitchhike all the oh, time, no, right? no, no. Okay. Yeah. I know so. exactly which one you're talking about. Well, I, I told Blair because I've told him most of my stories and I told him the one thing that I was afraid of out there wasn't necessarily getting hurt, but, and, and this is not a slur. This is not a knock. It's just, uh, but people that were homosexuals would pick you up thinking, because sometimes guys would be out there hitchhiking looking to get picked up if you follow my drift. Mm -hmm. And uh, so sometimes I would get picked up and get flirted with. All right. Yeah. And, and uh, I, the standard line I came up with the very first time it happened was the same one I repeated every time since then. And it was just, Hey, if that's your thing, that's, that's cool. I have not a problem with it, but it's not mine, you know? So right. please just drop it now. If, if you need, feel the need that you have to let me out, then fine. You know, I was walking when you picked me up, Yeah. you know? So, but these two guys, I, I happened into this car one time and, and, uh, I can't remember where it was at. I think it was in Florida and, uh, there was two guys in the front seat. And so luckily I got in the back seat and they said something that absolutely chilled me to the bone. 
they they were trying to talk me into coming with them for a little fun. And uh, I said my line and they said, well, you're lucky that we're not some people that just would put a knife to your throat and not give you a choice. Mm. And that kind of, that kind of got me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so then these guys stop at this bar and we go in, they ask me if I wanted a beer and I'm like, you know, when you're on the road, anything for free is like, yeah. So, uh, and especially a buzz. And so we go in there and then it occurred to me that these guys are trying to get me drunk. Like I might, you know, a girl, right? right like right. they're trying to get my, you know, your guard and down. So yeah. Right. And so as soon as that occurred to me, I said, I had to use the bathroom. I snuck outside. I got my duffel bag out of their car and I went and hid in the bushes until they <laughs> left. Because oh, <laughs> I was so terrified. Now that's uh, okay. So that's a, a, like a clear close call. But it seems like that kind of lifestyle was there. Did you have a lot of these like close calls? Like, is it well, like uh, you know? I think that we have this kind of fear of society in general right now. But so are are you? Do you have like more of people being friendly and being? open and oh, absolutely. helpful absolutely. more than like these kind of chilling stories or absolutely absolutely and uh i used to think you know of all the people that passed you by and out of the very small percentage that picked you up those were the cool people generally you know so it that was the only the only thing that ever went wrong was and it got to where i could pick up the vibe pretty clearly because normally People pick you a hitchhiker up because they want somebody to talk to, somebody to keep them awake when they're going a right. long ways and so forth. And so I was usually, I, I accommodated them. I would talk, you know, until their ears lit on fire. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but uh, when I got into a car with somebody that I could sense was, was out for, you know, out for something, then I would just totally shut it off. I would not say a word and I would look out the window and, you know, prepare to, to uh you know bolt well you know to uh, fend off any advances you know because like i said that was the one thing that that i was worried about well cardin have you ever hitchhiked or never hitchhiked in, in your <laughs> yeah never you? in my life you know uh no and i don't mean that in a bad way i just i i think that now is so much different than even if you you kind of reverse um, uh, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I think that there's too much, um, people are probably are generally nice and would be great, but I think as a society right now, we've done a really good job of making everybody afraid of each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. I so, um, and I, and I, and I have that, you know, so I'm not, I, I don't think the, I would take the risk, I guess is what it comes down to. What about you? Would you do it? <sighs> I, you know, I, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, I'd have to be in a situation to do it. In other words, I wouldn't go, you know, I want to I want to go to right. Missoula today and I don't yeah. want to drive. I want to save some money on gas. I think I'll just hitchhike. No, I wouldn't. I, I mean, you know, if I ran out of gas and, it, you know, if there was a situation that warranted it, yeah, I would. I mean, I, yeah. I, I would, you know, I would trust that, like Lance is saying, most people are good and they're not, there's no nefarious yeah, things going on, you know. But no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just voluntarily go out and, no. No. Well, I well you probably, probably, yeah, I was oh, going to say, you've probably sorry. met some, like, just some super interesting people, though, from doing it. I mean, not well, only I is your story, I but I, I'm sure you just met people that were just, in general, super interesting as well and had some great conversations. Yes, yes, I did. And, uh, like, 
like I, one of the most interesting insights into the psychology between my, my father and myself, you know, my father and I's uh, relationship could always come down to one, one line between us. He would always kind of say things that came down to the same thing as uh, you, well, you were a lousy son and I would shoot back with, well, you were a lousy father. I mean, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that would be the, the extent of our, our, a discourse, you know, for a long time. And I was uh, telling this one guy that was giving me a ride one time about this relationship, this interesting relationship I had with my father, this adversarial relationship. And he said, you know, he said, if you don't succeed in life, you will have been proved right. Because if you follow my logic here, if I'd have done everything he said, I would have become successful, but if I didn't follow what he said, you know, I, does that make any sense? I, I don't yeah, know if he, I'm just, yeah. he, he was saying in the scheme, if you do things your own way and are successful, you were right. Well, no, no, no. Oops. He was saying, he was saying <laughs> the opposite. Yeah. by failing, I was proving myself right. That I, that I, that, that we did it your way, my dad's way. And that now I'm the result. And if I fail, that means your way was wrong. How could it be right if I turned out terrible? Oh, do you wow. follow now what I'm saying? I, Carden, do you follow that? Yeah, you're, it's kind of the, it's the classic antithesis, right? So you, you've done pretty much probably the opposite of what your father has told you the whole time. And uh, as a result, I mean, whatever happens is if, if you were a success and, you know, you could look at him and say, see, I told you, dad, type of thing. Well, I, yeah, I, I think of it like if I would have been a success, then it, I think of it more like this, Cardin. I think if I would have turned out to be a success, then his heavy hand and his heavy methods would have would have been borne out, would have been justified. justified. I, well, okay, See I get that. Saying? Right. Like yeah, if I was become yeah. a success, he would have taken credit for it by right. saying, well, I obviously did everything right. Look how he turned out. Right. right Which right. on the other hand, if I went down in flames <laughs> is kind of my psychotic, okay, I see. subconscious I see. Okay. way of right. winning against right. my Yeah. Mother. So, so, okay. So I you going down in really flames at some point has, is the way to say, yeah, you're having, this is what's happening. Yeah. Your way sucked. No. Yeah. It didn't, didn't work. It did not Dad. work. So this you is know, a good I question that, that was, I, I, I think is, is really interesting that has to do with that. Um, and I, I don't know if we can all pick it, but at, at what age then does the, do the scales tip? Cause you know, I, I'm a dad now currently. Right. So of course at some point, uh, when do the, when do the scales tip? And by that, I mean, at what point, and, and do you th think we can just say age or maybe maturity level or whatever, does, does an individual finally go, okay, this is now on me. That you know, I can't. I can't look back at uh, my upbringing. I can't bring this relationships. I can't really, uh, you know, blame my friends anymore, or so on and so forth. At this point, now it's on me. At, the, at this point, it's on my my shoulder. Did you ever hit a point like that, Lance? Uh that's that's a good question. I. I uh, I would think that it had to do more with a maturity level than an age. You mm -hmm. know, I, yeah. I went back to college or went to college at 30. Okay. okay. I, and I know in my heart that if I would have gone straight out of high school, I would just would have flamed out. I would have done mm -hmm. nothing. But by the time I was 30, you know, uh, 
part of it was I had been a tree climber, removing trees, trimming trees for the power lines for years by then. And uh, my shoulder had bore the brunt of a lot of that shrapnel. And so I was starting to have physical issues. Couldn't see myself doing blue collar work the rest of my life. So I came back and, and started school uh, to do something else. Actually, interestingly enough, my degrees are in sociology and criminal justice because mm. what I saw myself doing was counseling juveniles. Mm, interesting. And uh, so I, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think it correlates to exactly an age. I think it's mm -hmm. more of an awareness of where you are and what your your possibilities are. Gotcha. Well, and, and I can I can say from my vantage point that um, you know, you still have unresolved issues with our dad. I don't, I don't know oh. that, you know, I don't know. I, I understand what Cardin's asking, but I think a lot of it is, um, you know, the, the, the relationship that you had with, with our dad shaped a lot of, you know, who you are as a person today. And you've had to overcome a lot of it. You know, um, you and I have had a lot of discussions about, you know, you, you're never going to get closure, you know? I, at least I, you know, I've given up on getting closure for the, you know, the, the issues I have with, with our dad. And I think you've, you've stuck with it longer than I would have, you know, hoping to get that kind of closure and stuff. Um, and that's a tough thing. You know, that's a tough thing for, for a child to want something and a parent not give it in. Cause you know, the, the thing is Cardin, and I know you're the way I am that, that raising our kids, nothing mm -hmm. was more important than our children and their mm -hmm. well being. you know, mm -hmm. and you know, growing up in a household and, you know, there was, there was a lot of good. It's not like it was all bad, but, no. but when you had a man in the house that that priority was not on the well being of his kids, you know, and he, he did what he thought was right. You know, I think that could be said he for did. a lot of I people. I told him that, you know, mm -hmm. the, the hard way was, you know, toughen you up for life. But, mm -hmm. but I, but I seeing it now, and especially as an adult, you, you realize that that doesn't work. You know. Well, and here's something, Cardin, that might make some sense is that that uh, what I learned in school about scripts and the the scripts that we all follow as far as and there are taught as far as what a man is and what a woman is, you know. Mm -hmm. And our father mm -hmm. was very much of the school that uh, you don't show your your emotions, mm -hmm. you don't mm -hmm. cry. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't cry. But you know, the answer to him, if one of us cried, was I'll give you something to cry about. You know, there was no sympathy. You know, especially for us boys. And uh, I think you know, with me, when I I had my own daughter at thirty eight, and uh, that made me really examine what I how I wanted to raise her, mm -hmm. and it made me make some conscious decisions to not follow in the same, you know, to break the cycle of abuse. Right. So, right. Yes, most definitely. So, I mean, I think our children kind of play a part in that because you want to, like Blair just said, you want to do the best for them. And that kind of makes you examine, you know, cause nobody, no child comes with a how to book. Right. Oh, so you just kind of yeah. have to, 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 uh, look at what your instincts are and are those instincts correct? You know, are you, are you, uh, harming your child actually, you know? Yeah. Well, and I know that you, you know, that was a major transformation. I know, you know, with, there's, there's a, with your life, there's going to be some gaps where we're going to have to jump around a little bit, but <laughs> so you, you live that on the road lifestyle for a long time. Um, 
And then you came back to Montana and you, you kind of, I mean, you wanted to settle down. You, you got into college and stuff. I mean, you were trying to turn a new leaf, but when you had your daughter, things really changed, right? I mean, you, you even said yourself several times that that was the kind of the catalyst for you to say, I got to get my shit together. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you stopped living for yourself. Bingo. You started living for someone else. Yep. Right. And and so, at that point though, you were still addicted to painkillers. Oh yeah. Were you drinking at that time? You were drinking. Uh, not when she was around. You know, I was only with my daughter's mother uh, until she was three. She got together with me when I was uh, going to school, and it was just kind of a fling. And then she quit taking birth control because she saw a guy going to school and thought she'd land somebody that would just take care of her. And, uh, as a consequence, uh, she didn't know who she was, who she was trying to domesticate, I guess. Right. And, uh, so I didn't last very long with that, but I stuck around because I didn't want to desert my daughter, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I only had her, you know, on weekends and fairs and circuses and, you know, any, any instance where they didn't want to do something with her, I was quick to take it up. But uh, but I stayed in the same town for twenty some years solely, right? You know, solely to uh, be around her, you know, so that she wouldn't feel like I'd abandoned her, like I'd seen mm-hmm. so many other people do with her kids. So how did that? So Lance, how did that affect you addressing your addiction and your bipolar? And I mean, so that was kind of the catalyst. How did that? How did that happen? Well, I'd gone to psychiatrists over the years, and the the phrase for bipolar used to be manic depressive, which I think Mm -hmm. is a a lot more descriptive than bipolar. I mean, they both work, but but at any rate, when people would, when psychiatrists would tell me you're manic depressive, all I heard was you're depressed, and I'm like, I already know that you're not telling me anything that's helping. So I wasn't really hearing what they were laying down, and uh, but when I read that book. When I read that book, uh, The Unquiet Mind. Do you remember who the author is? Uh, I should. I really should. It's okay. I was just curious. But, uh, but anyhow, when I was reading that book, because on, on the one hand, too, Cardin, part of it uh, was my father, and he was just, he was always of the attitude that you don't have anything wrong with you. You know, nothing that just picking yourself up by the bootstraps can't handle. So mm-hmm. I always yep. kind of discounted what, what the professionals were saying, mm-hmm. you know? And yep. so, uh, it wasn't until I read that book that I was going, Holy shit, this is me. You know, yeah. this is, this is, this lady is me. Although she had some psychotic breaks at the end that I haven't, <laughs> that I haven't achieved, but uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of yeah. the rest of it, the bouncing around. And you know, what's crazy about it, the perhaps the craziest thing of all was she was a counselor, a psychologist counseling bipolar people. Uh huh. And she, and she was she bipolar, and she yeah. couldn't recognize it in herself. Really interesting. Yes, that is yeah. amazing. So, so that that kind of harkens back too. I think it's really interesting you bring that up. But that's um, an, a, a kind of a, a generational thing, don't you think? I mean, this whole kind of oh, I wouldn't say movement, but the, just the embracing of like uh, behavioral health and the understanding of how important that is, along with everything else. But just the not setting aside. Um, some of these behavior health or mental health issues that have been there for a long time, just not uh, correctly diagnosed or, and, and probably exactly. in your case, just kind of swept under the rug as, oh, he's just a kid or, 
this is just somebody that's being disobedient or something like that, you know, whereas it actually is a, you know, a very, a real, a very real and actually treatable thing as well. Right. And that's the, that's the really sad part because I was just telling Blair actually to prior to coming on that, uh, you know, I used to be one of those people that drank and drug, did pain pills and stuff to self-medicate because it would kind of, you know, it would make me not feel as bad when I was depressed and it would bring me down if I was manic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it performed a lot of functions. Right, right. And plus, it's the only thing you can get, you know, that you know to take that'll make you feel better. But mm-hmm. at any rate, the point I was making to Blair is I cannot walk into a bar. Now, I've quit drinking for several years now. And uh, I don't really frequent bars any much anymore, but I can still go into a bar and look around and, and it always is in the back of my mind how many of these people sitting on stools have mental issues mm-hmm. and they're just, mm-hmm. you know, self-medicating right. just the same way I did, you know, but without the benefit of, uh, and of an introspective nature for one thing. I mean, wondering why you are the way you are, you know, mm-hmm. instead you just go get drunk and forget about it till the next day. Right. You know? And a lot of people do that, you know, and I just, I look around and, and you know, the, perhaps the saddest thing statistic that I'm aware of, you know, who the number one mental health care, uh, facility, if that's the right word is in this country. Prisons. Yep. The criminal justice system. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yep. And they don't do anything. There's a term in criminal justice called warehousing. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but mm-hmm. but basically for people that aren't involved in some sort of change uh, and minus any change agent inside, that's all they're doing is warehousing. And they get out, they go back to their same circumstances. Right. Mm-hmm. They go back to their same behaviors and nothing's changed. And yeah. that's why you have so many repeat offenders, you know, recidivism is so high. Yeah. And you look at, well, you look at the, the homeless population and this is, I mean, statistically it's, it's very much the same. I mean, the amount of um, mental, mental health issues that are out there that result in homelessness is astounding. And, and like you said too, it's, it's going completely kind of (laughs) unlooked at really more than anything. Well, it's a, it's a huge, you know, what they're trying to do in, uh, I think it's, Oregon, where they're trying to, they're, or maybe it's Seattle, where they're doing the, the shelters. I mean, it's a huge problem. You're talking about a a semi-large city worth of homeless people in some of these large cities. You know, you're yeah. talking 60,000, 70,000 people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, Cardin, uh, mental illness and addiction, you know, alcohol, drug addiction, or both. They go hand in hand. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's got to be a major part of it. So it's not like these people, like what Lance is saying earlier, you just grab yourself by the bootstraps and you pull yourself up. And, you know, the, the big thing you hear is, well, they just get a job and do it like everybody else. Right. Um, but, but, but that doesn't work. You no, know, well, obviously. Uh, obviously. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lance. I mean, I'm, I know that you know more than this than I do, but it's a, it's a chemical imbalance. I mean, if you look at the the biology of, especially something like um, bipolar, um, the ups and the downs are caused by, you know, the chemical imbalances that happen consistently in your brain that kind of <laughs> make you feel that way. So, and I think that it, and, and Lance, like I said, you probably know more than this for sure than I do, but isn't the, they um, kind of lithium, isn't, isn't that what they're um, prescribing now to try to maintain oh the chemicals in the brain correctly? I, I don't, I'm not on lithium. I take a couple of things for, uh, for a couple of antidepressants, but they, and they go by various names, 
mm-hmm. but uh, uh, but uh, lithium hasn't been one. Okay, <laughs> I've got about eight in my medicine cabinet that I have to take every day. Well, I think, but, uh, yeah, but with the same result though, trying to kind of balance out the the chemicals that that kind of keep you on a you know on a, a steady level instead of the ups and downs consistently. Right, and you know what's kind of amazing that I I found is that, uh, and I think this happens more often than people appreciate, is uh, I always thought the depressed me wasn't me. You know, mm. the manic me, mm-hmm. now that was me. That was mm-hmm. when I was clicking. And, Life of the party. You know, right. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, always yearning for action and adventure. And I used to live my life, Carden, like I felt like I was the star of a movie. You know, mm-hmm. it had to be mm-hmm. back-to-back action. And if, <laughs> and if it wasn't going on, I had to create it. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, it, it had to be something dramatic all the time. I mean, I for a living, I was swinging around 80 feet by a, in a tree with a chainsaw by uh, – a rope, you know? So, I mean, I was just, I was, I gravitated towards these things that were, uh, I guess, and part of it was kind of a sense of fatality that, that, uh, a fatalism that, that I thought, you know, after being through some of the things I've been through that when it was your time, you know, it's your time. And until then, you know, you just kind of push the envelope. You got as far as you can get away with. You know, so, mm-hmm. and, but, but what I wanted to say real quick, sorry, no, that's okay. I lost my, my point there for a second, but so, but people get on medication and what that does is it makes your lows not as low and it makes your highs not as high. And mm-hmm. what happens for a lot of people is they go off their meds because they miss that manic. Interesting. Yeah. They really do. They, they, they miss, miss the it. highs. Exactly. Yeah. You don't mm-hmm. miss the depressions, but you get one with the other. So you kind of have to learn to live your life on a different level you know it can't mm-hmm. be that intense that as intense as it was before and you have to get used to that and it's really really hard hmm. so lance i this is something you and i've talked about before and i just want to kind of pose this question but so when you were you know in the midst of of your addiction to painkillers um you had untreated bipolar and ocd and you know um ptsd from your gunshot um and you know you're you were literally homeless, uh, not just once, you know, a few times, right? And I remember, yeah. I remember one winter. It was colder. I mean, it was colder than hell in Montana. You're sleeping in a guy's garage <laughs> on a couch with blankets. Is that what it was? I yeah. mean, literally. Actually, actually, and it wasn't a I, heated garage. When I finished college, this is kind of ironic because I get out of college. I've got this degree that I. You know, I, to this day, I say college was the hardest thing I ever had to do and not necessarily because the classes were so hard, but because of staying in one place, I stuck it out. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, when before, when things started to go wrong, I just went, okay, boom, I'm out of here. And, uh, I didn't do that. You know, I, it mattered enough to me to finish. And that was the action, absolutely the hardest part. But the funny thing is after I got done with school, I didn't have any more student loans to subsist on. So I lost my place to stay cause I hadn't found a job that would pay the rent. And I, the guy that I gave all my furniture to shoved some furniture in his garage and then I needed a place to stay. And he, it was an uninsulated, you know, no, well, it had electricity, but it didn't have plumbing, didn't have insulation, no heat, no, you know, hotter than hell in the summertime, colder than hell in the winter, but he let me stay there for free. So, yeah. But, but I guess where I was going with that is, so you, you were pretty down and out. I yeah. mean, by, by really any definition. Um, so what kept you going? I mean, cause we've talked about suicide, 
and we've talked about, you know, was that ever, you know, because a lot of people reach a point where they go, you know what? Um, I mean, you had a lot of trials and tribulations in your life. Um, what what kept you going? Well, without laying too fine a point on it, I, uh, as I alluded to a little bit ago, I've been through enough stuff that I decided if I was supposed to be dead, I'd be dead. And so I kind of have cultivated this faith. And I, I hate to say in religion because it's not really religion. I just believe in a higher power. And I thought, you know, it's kind of, I believe in it enough that I'm going to do my time. Right. You know, and because of that exact fact, because I believe if I was supposed to be dead, I'd be dead, you know? <laughs> so yeah. I just kind yeah, of feel been like plenty of opportunity, I guess. I just kind of feel like, uh, you know, that I'm here for a reason and whatever reason, you know, you, you might miss it for the looking sometimes, but you know, maybe it was my daughter. And if that's it, what it is, I would be fine with that, you know, but you never know what impact you can have on somebody's life, you know, that you don't even realize you have. Right. right. Yeah. So I guess that's what keeps me going. So now you've been um, kind of, you, you said you haven't drank for several years, you know, you're kind of, um, is it, do you still, um, is it tough? I mean, are you still having days where you're thinking like, man, I could really use a drink or I could really do this or how is, how is sobriety kind of treating you? No, I've had enough of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always tell people I, I quit drinking because I got tired of waking up doing 60. <laughs> uh -huh. But the actuality was I got three DUIs, you know, next one's a felony. And I've just had countless issues because of drinking. And ironically, I started drinking. I used to just smoke weed because it was more in line with my personality, I guess, in the coming down thing. But uh, I came back to Montana to go to school. And I thought, nope, you know, I'm going to throw everything else I've ever done away and I'm just going to be legit. And that meant drinking because drinking was legal. Hmm. And it's ironic hmm. because I've gotten more trouble for over drinking than yeah. everything else combined that yeah. I've done, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? So, but, uh, you know, they, and they have an index and they rate drugs according to their toxicity, let's say for lack of a better word. And alcohol is far and away the worst, most dangerous yeah. drug. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like yep. one buddy of mine in AA put it, not a holiday goes by. Somebody doesn't get killed or kill somebody else or maim somebody else, right. you know, because alcohol at the center of it. I mean, it just happens mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, no, I, I don't miss it. I, uh, I miss kind of the, the parties and being the life of the party, but you know, I'm 60. We all slow down. After a while. <laughs> he doesn't look 60. Yeah. That's the thing I, I have to, yeah, it's unbelievable because uh, looking at this guy, you'd, you'd never say that at all. He, he likes Under Armour and Nike and he's got lots of it. So <laughs> no. So, and, and Lance, um, tying in with that now, your, let's talk about getting off the painkillers. Okay, because that was a major thing, okay. um, and and then also you are currently on a maintenance. So, Suboxone. So, okay, so talk about that, please. Okay, so I told you before, Cardin. Well, I was saying before that uh, I was on Darvset, Darvon, mm -hmm. right, right, mm -hmm. straight okay. out of high school, mm -hmm. and so that became my drug of choice because it's not really that heavy. You know, if you're off it, if you have to come off it, you're not in the fetal position on the floor, mm -hmm. like yeah like the harder pain pills. And plus they're so expensive off the street. 
And not only that, because of the nature of my injuries, I could walk in any doctor's office and show them to them and they go, okay. And then raise a suspicious eyebrow. What are you looking for? You know, knowing that this is a grift, right? right. And I would say, uh, well, I just want some Darvacet. You know, there's just days that, and they would, they would go, oh, oh, is that all? And they, they'd write me a <laughs> no, script. So, yeah. so after yeah. a while, I'm going to three different doctors. Okay. I'm doctor shopping. I'm going to three different doctors. And uh, each one of them gave me 120 Darvacet designed to last a month. Each one lasted me a week. Hmm. And, uh, and then plus there was a week that I had to come up with something on my own. And uh, don't let anybody ever tell you that the life of an addict is any fun because you're, you're constantly wondering where I'm going to get money or where I'm going to get the drugs or where, mm-hmm. you know, there's mm-hmm. your, your mm-hmm. whole existence is wrapped around those two realities right there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even when you've got a bottle of pills, it's kind of like the good times. You know, you, you you know the bad times are just around the corner, so you right. can't even hardly fully enjoy it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, when they took Darvacet off the market, that was when I knew I had to change. And I went to a Suboxone doctor, and I laid it all on the table. And I told him, I'm not a bad person, but I'm doing some bad things. Right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was afraid I was going to get caught and go to prison over it. I mean, right. you know, these are not light charges. And so he got me on Suboxone. And what I've noticed is it does deal with the pain on a certain level. But the most important thing for me has been that it, that you're able to uh, not think about the, the stuff that I was talking about before with the money and the right. finding the drugs. Right. I take my amount that I'm supposed to, and it gets rid of the Jones. You don't, you're not jonesing for more. You're not jonesing for you know, for it, if you don't have it necessarily, you know, but it, it, you know, because people in AA used to always tell me, just quit, just quit. And I'm like, well, that might work for you. You know, if we're talking about drinking, but I've got chronic pain and I'm Mm -hmm. not going to just quit. I could never see that in my future, just quitting, you Mm -hmm. know, why for you, (laughs) you know, I'm going to be in pain the rest of my life to make you feel better. You know, that's not going to happen. Well, you, I remember you used to take your, you used to pack your x-rays around because if anybody ever doubted, he, he had an x-ray of his left shoulder and of course, Oh, was your right shoulder? My right shoulder. And, and of course, on an x-ray, lead shows up like, you know, th- these white dots all over. And it looks like a grenade went off in his shoulder. Jeez. I mean, still yeah. to this day, you yeah. can actually still see him through your skin, right? The gray dots of the well, lead. You can, you can see a couple that are close to the surface. Yeah. yeah. You I mean, actually to this day, he still got, they said there was so much shrapnel that it was pointless trying to get it all out because they wouldn't. Jeez. One of the operations they did, uh, I asked the doctor to do a personal favor for me i said when you're in there rooting around because i had a shoulder replacement done what probably what, five years four ago four years ago yeah. five years ago something like that so he he dug out a pieces a few pieces of shrapnel and threw them in a small test tube for me so i've got his <laughs> <laughs> little souvenir yeah a little conversation piece oh gosh like, yeah like, i've been carrying those around for 40 years huh right i like keychains <laughs> so okay so we're we're kind of you know we're our format's around an hour but there, there's a couple you know and and i told Carden, i said Carden, wait till you hear this guy's story um yeah. there's a couple things we didn't talk about and and you know having a brother that that was this guy that was pretty interesting too um oh, yeah. a couple things that he hasn't talked about is he's a, a, a voracious reader. Lance, hmm. how many books, realistically, how many books do you think you have? Oh, I know. I count them every so often. That's the obsessive compulsive. I've got uh, around 3,300 right now. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
Wow. And, and these aren't light reads. This isn't this isn't comic books. I mean, you're you like it's long all non fiction. Right? It's all non fiction. Yeah. Every bit of it. Every bit. Yeah. Well, I think that uh uh Mein Kampf, that's right. You he was you yeah, guys were talking about because you're you're yeah, kind of I a World War Two guy, like Blair. A little. He got me. Uh, he got me in a German edition of Mein Kampf, and I'm like, well, I, I don't <laughs> speak German. I'm like, well, thanks. You know, I'm not, I'm not. You know, a big. I just like World War II. I'm like, but uh, no. I mean, in in in. Okay, so let let me talk. You know, Lance, you've been married once, right? So, so <laughs> I'm in college. Yeah, I'm in college. I get a Christmas card from my brother, right? Yeah. And, you know, most normal relationships, he'd say, hey, buddy, how you doing? I get a topless picture of his wife, okay, <laughs> who, who happened to now, be a stripper. Now, Cardin, but she had also, now, in my own defense, <laughs> this girl had posed in Playboy, and I was living in Malibu, and that's how I met her. <laughs> that doesn't take awesome. away from the Christmas card you oh, sent okay. your brother. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, when you put it that way, that's yeah, that's a normal Christmas well, no, card. No, there was a part of me who yeah. was like, hey, check this <laughs> oh, out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. He was bragging. My wife wasn't so impressed. <laughs> my my new wife of a month. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, you think uh, you're yeah. hot? Well, look at my brother's girlfriend. Or <laughs> well, wife. that was before she drove a pair <laughs> yeah. of hair trimming scissors into oh, my thigh. Okay. You got it. Tell that story. <laughs> Tell that story. <laughs> okay. Well, the girl was kind of psycho, but I guess there's not much chance she'll find me now. So, uh, but no, we were, I was driving in her car. That was the problem at the time. I had a motorcycle and uh, somebody thought it belonged to somebody else. Some drug dealer thought it belonged to somebody else and they ended up shooting it with a double barrel shotgun. So mm. I didn't even have my motorcycle anymore when I met <laughs> this girl and she had a car and we were staying in this little trailer anyway. So she'd pull this shit where she would go, well, I need to be alone for a minute, you know, and I would think, okay, hour or two, right? She'd disappear for like three days. <laughs> right? and so this one time she's like i'm driving in the car and we pull over to talk because she's pulling this one of these you know i want to be alone bits and i'm like all right fine i'll drop you off at home and i'll take the car and go visit some of my friends you know because i knew that wouldn't sit too well with her so she's uh she's starting to freak out about it and stuff and uh and i did something i absolutely don't abide by and have never done really before or since but she's screaming with her hands and and mouth on the glass as cars are going by so that people she's crying trying to invite some intervention because she's lost control of the situation i'm not giving up the car so she's like yelling so i kind of backhanded her a little bit going knock it off you know there's nothing to be acting that cycle over so she goes all quiet and i thought hmm, well that worked well and uh, she's digging in her purse for some hair trimming scissors, though. And uh, I take my eye off the ball, meaning her, for one second. And next thing I know, she buries it straight down in my thigh. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so you remember those close calls that I was talking about earlier? <laughs> it seems like it seems like uh, one of those, probably. <laughs> oh God, girl oh, problems. Man. Girl problems is a whole nother issue, Carter. Oh, I had a girl episode too. Yeah, yeah, right. right. A girl in Texas pulled a gun on me one time. <laughs> so, and I was actually more scared then than I was when I got shot. Because oh, I was afraid of what was coming. And you know what? She actually had me so scared for so long. She held me at gunpoint crying. And uh, 
because she had broke up with me and I constantly, I, uh, I don't believe in cheating. So I took it when she said she wanted to break up. I'm like, fine. Cause there was this other little cutie. I thought, well, that just gives me permission to go out with her. Well, she, then she changes my mind and changes her mind and wants to come over after all comes over, ends up having a fight with this broad, this other girl kicks her out. But then the next day she's all jealous and pissed off and pulls a gun on me. She had me absolutely edge of the seat, you know, so, so afraid (laughs) that I was just adrenalized (laughs) that I finally got tired. I had to sit down because I was losing energy. And Uh you know what? I was so sure that she was going to shoot me that I just started praying. I started, all right, God, you know, here I come. Yep. And she's like, stop praying. (laughs) And then finally that broke it. She, she realized she couldn't scare me anymore. And she dropped the gun and came over. Couldn't scare you anymore. It sounded like any more than the point you were already scared. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say, well, right. Right. But yeah, girls, I've never had the best of luck. Well, uh, well, okay. So, um, I mean, wow. We, like I said, yeah. and, and maybe we will, we'll have on you again because there, there's a yeah, lot. Definitely. I mean, we're, we've, we've definitely kind of clipped some mm-hmm. and, and it is a very, it is a very, very interesting story. And there's a lot we didn't talk about. Right. Uh, yeah, and sure. I, I'm sorry for somebody that doesn't have the perspective that my brother does Carden. I'm sorry that we kind of jumped all over the place. Oh no, no, it was, it was a great talk. I really no, coherent no. It, description of it, no, it was well, great. It was great. That, and we appreciate you being on for sure. It just, um, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it was Thank great. It was great. Me. It was good. Yeah. Hey, I do want to do a plug though, because I looked this up, The Unquiet Mind. So tell me, okay. are you a K Jameson? Does that sound right? That's right. K Jameson. K Redfield Jameson. That is exactly right. Yeah, I just want to do a plug for that. I haven't read it, but just the way you've talked about it, it seems like it would be a great resource to anybody out there that's interested in it. So, I think so, because like, uh, like I pointed out earlier, a lot of people aren't convinced of the validity of the, of the disease of mm-hmm. bipolar. Know? And so mm-hmm. you read that and it'll enlighten you. Yeah. I promise you. Well, and one thing you didn't know, Lance, cause, uh, you know, well, actually I shouldn't say that you've listened to some of the podcasts, but, um, Cardin has been very open with his, he's dealt with anxiety. Um, okay. actually pretty much your whole life, right? Cardin. Yeah, pretty much. And you know what? I have a, a history of mental illness in my my family as well. Um, it's some bipolar and some schizophrenia and some obsessive compulsive and stuff like that, which I, th- I think is more of probably where my anxiety manifests is probably some some OCD type tendencies and things like that. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, yep, definitely have had, have kind of had history with all of that. And I still, you know, deal with it and it kind of was... I, I would even say, Lance, honestly, there is a few probably tippers that tipped in my favor, but right in my college time frame, I could have had very had a very similar journey um, that you, that you had as well. So, um, you know how that goes, and a couple of different things go different ways, and things. You I know, do, I do. And you know, I, one thing I'd like to point out about the homeless people, and uh, uh, not necessarily all homeless people, of course, but homeless people that have issues, mental health issues, the the fact that they're living on the street sometimes by choice just to simplify their life. They've got so much going on mm-hmm. that they can't get a handle on, at least, you know, paying right. their bills and paying rent. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Those things kind of go away. You don't have to hold down a job. You know, you kind of have your days to do with as you will. You know, you don't have to struggle to get up every day. And So do you think go- it's a situation, Lance, where we drive by them and go, God, the poor soul, and they watch us go by and they go, the poor soul? Absolutely. 
absolutely that happens yeah i had yeah, a buddy in la that was a very talented musician and he could have done a number of things with it but uh he loved nothing more than going and putting down he played the flute just incredibly he's dead now but uh he uh, used to put it out in front of a store and he would make enough to go to the bar and party all night long and have enough left in his pocket for coffee, cigarettes and newspaper in the morning. And that's how he lived his life, you know, and around from Thanksgiving to Christmas every year down in L.A., people got extremely generous. And so every year at that time, if he needed it, he would get a new car, you know, new to him. Right. But he would earn such that he would be Jeez. able to be able to buy a vehicle and then he lived in that vehicle the rest of the year. Oh God! I mean, but the yeah. weather down there, you know, is like, you know, as long as it's yeah. nice, you can, you can sleep outside, but absolutely people do that by choice. You know, right. they, they're not necessarily forced into that. This was a guy that was, um, I have heard that he was from some money, you know, so if he would, and he kind of rejected it and just said, absolutely, no. absolutely said, I'm not going to be your, you know, your, uh, I don't know. And I've worked, I think we've all kind of been to those kinds of jobs where you feel like there's just a suction cup on top of your head, sucking the life right out of you. You know, you go, gosh, you yeah. know, is this worth it? Um, yeah. Okay. So, so I hate to do this, but we, we gotta, we gotta roll on into closure. So, so Lance, one, one other thing, we have a little tradition here. Okay. Yep. Um, uh -oh. And that we, we kind of entered, we, we entered the, what we call the monkey moment. Okay, yep. and and that's Cardin's brainchild, by the way, and it's a, it's it a is. great addition. So that's a nice catchphrase. Yeah, the monkey yeah. moment. So, uh, in order to fully embellish the the monkey moment, you have to imitate the sound of a monkey. Yes. Well, I don't know how well that I can do that. I got my vocal cords crushed in a street fight one time. <laughs> of course you did. Of course, yeah. of course you did. I can't really. I don't that's have okay. much range in my. That's okay. It doesn't have to be an acapella monkey. Just, just a monkey. <laughs> and, and, and you know, the monkeys come in all shapes and sizes, Lance. That's I, you know. I don't even know how where to begin with that. Just a couple oohs and ahs, and you know. Okay, let me. You guys are the masters at this. No. Lead the way. That's not how it works. Okay, you're <laughs> no, the no. guest. All right. Yeah. You're the the guest. rules are kind of fluid. No, man. they're not. They're very rigid. Very okay. Rigid. Okay, go ahead. I, I've got nothing. That's a terrible monkey. It is. Yeah, that's right. like a human, but okay. We'll take it. <laughs> that sounds like a whiny, snivelly monkey. I, I, we haven't had one of those. I want to do one of those screeches, but I'm telling you, my. How about just? Oh yeah. Oh, oh, there you go. There we go. Okay. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. we got it. There it was. Yeah. It okay, yeah. so Carden, you want to hit him with the monkey moment question? Yeah, most definitely. So we we've been uh, kind of on this kick for a while, actually. Okay, so here, <laughs> I love it. Here's the scenario, okay? Uh, you know, you're driving home tonight and they, uh, a UFO lands right next to you and the door opens wide and there's the, the Martian and says, Lance, come on, man, let's go. We're going to take you to a, a, a different world. You're going to see how the aliens live. What do you, what are you doing? You're jumping on and going or, or, or are you saying, no, no, thanks. I got stuff to do. No, no, thanks. I got stuff to do. You're kidding. Really? What? Yeah. No, what I've a, had a couple yeah, of close encounters. Maybe we'll get to that some other time, but I've had a couple of close encounters and they kind of startled and scared the bejesus out of I would have lost it's a not, million dollars on that bet. I agree. And and even just in the little talk, I would have I would have bet of money. All the people, the adrenaline junkie live life on the edge people i just didn't get the i didn't get the feeling it was a positive force oh oh interesting oh well man. you'd fit in with carden's camp 
Yeah, see, I, no, I, I did know that. No, that's okay. Let me explain. Oh, Cardin's okay, camp yeah, isn't yeah. so much the aliens. Yeah. Card, okay, here's Cardin's camp, to be fair. Yeah. It, it has less to do with the aliens and more yeah. to do with how people would handle aliens. Oh, okay, so let me just ask you this, just your quick opinion. How well do you think people in general now, I'm talking the population, if aliens became known, okay, and they, and they made themselves very obvious, how do you think people could handle that or would handle that? I think it would be terrible. We talked about this once in college, and uh, the ramifications for religion would be especially seismic. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's you know exactly because we're right. the only only ones, right? Right. So okay. people, I've had people shut down the mere question of whether or not life exists, even though all probability tells you that there's got to be other. Right. Life so, you. so you're thinking anarchy? Well, no, I just I don't really know what to. People lose their minds, Lance. That's what I'm saying. People lose their minds. <laughs> I, 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 Everything I really they ever knew and believed in is all of a sudden turned upside down. Card, right Cardin right? is absolutely convinced they would lose their minds. And I, I, well, I'd I like tend to, think, to agree with that. Yeah? I tend to well, agree with that. It, it, I suppose it depends on how it was put forth. You know, if you had some really uh, beneficial stuff that they passed on and, and, uh, and it became known that the government's been working with them for a while and, you know, oh, yeah. that they're not right. bad guys, you know, that we know where they live. And, yeah. See, know. yeah, I'm not suggesting Independence Day where they laser a city and it, it, it explodes in one big ball of fire. I'm, I think I'm thinking more just, like that. Lance. I think yeah. just kind of a superior <laughs> show of, of technology, though, is just intimidating to people. I think it no. would scare the shit out of people. Yeah. yeah people lose their minds. I'm sorry. I, I, just, I, 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 I tend to agree. Yeah. Okay. All right. Two to one. I, I yeah, I don't know. Well, you think people be throwing flowers at him? No, like, I, I just I don't <laughs> think so. I don't. Okay, so I just think that we've been kind of dealing with this for a while, and I feel like it seems like like just today, Cardin and I just talked today. There was another um, some footage of UFOs released. Okay, that mm-hmm. was from the from the military. I feel like little by little they're giving us more and more and more, and I feel like it's going to culminate with okay, that they are real. Okay, Maybe right. we don't know exactly what it is, but and, and 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 I'm just saying it seems like people are kind of gradually getting you know yeah, but, used to the idea. But yeah, uh, yeah on on one level, but uh, how how many people do you think are aware of those clips? Because I, I that's, saw that's those a great too. point. Yeah, what, and, and, and I'm talking about, about that. people I'm, I'm absolutely about. shut their mind down when it comes to stuff like that. They go, yeah. "Nope, we're the only ones." That's it. It's kind of yeah. like talking to. Oh, never mind. I won't say. When, that. I, you know, I, I'm talking about John that changes oil for a living. That all of a sudden aliens are here, and he going, "Well, I'm not going and changing oil. There's freaking aliens. There's a whole alien planet. What is what does my job have to do with anything? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the kind of level I think is going to happen. People will use it as a way to be like, no, let's. Uh, uh-uh. everything I thought I knew was not. Yeah, that uh, the end of the world has certainly got to be at exactly. hand. Yep, exactly. That you know, and I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I, I, really. Yeah. Well, they, I, I mean, it's it. Yeah, and that, and that's. I actually, I guess that's why we keep asking people because this is a very interesting. You know, just getting people's response is interesting. So, yep. um, well, Lance, uh, I, you know, as a brother, thank you for coming on. I, I, thank you know, you kind me. of exposed everything, and you said you were very willing. I appreciate that, and I'm sure our listeners do too. So, well, I hope it helps just one person. I know that sounds trite, but. No, it's true. No, no, I'm sure it will. And I, I really appreciate you being on. And, and like Blair said, just been, being open and willing to discuss. It's not an easy thing to kind of lay yourself bare like that. So we appreciate it for sure. 
Absolutely. Well, and and definitely, I, I, you, you have more story to tell, so we'll have you on again and stuff. But yeah, sure. um, but yeah awesome. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, by the next time you're on, maybe we will have a little bit more information on, you know, aliens and UFOs. And hopefully, oh, it's, sure. <laughs> hopefully it's not burning lasers in cities and things yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Carden. So episode 19, a wrap. Nice. We did it. Put it in the books. Okay, man. Well, uh, I guess it's time to say adieu. So, uh, from from Shoto. <laughs> Are you doing it? Are you doing it or not? See what I'm saying? You've already. We've I already. I can't even remember. From Shoto. From Sorry for all you that are. for the new format. <laughs> put a new format together so we know how we're ending these things. So I guess how. Uh, well, it's been a it's been a great talk. Until next time. Until next time, Carter. Good night, Blair. <laughs> Good night, Carter. <Kurt. laughs> Nailed it. <laughs>